Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we're getting to know Nashville's recovery community a little bit better. When you think of 12-step programs, Alcohol Anonymous or AA is probably the first program that comes to mind. There's a reason for that. AA is where it all started, the original OG of the 12-step programs. But what actually is AA? What are meetings like? Who attends? Officially, AA is an informal society of people who meet in small groups with the purposes of staying sober. The AA community here in Middle Tennessee is strong with about a thousand local meetings and thousands of members who attend. Here to share their experience with us and to help us learn more is Al, a local AA member involved with public outreach, and Jamie, an AA member who came to Tennessee as a part of her recovery journey. Now, in keeping with 12-step programs tradition of anonymity, we'll only be sharing their our guests' first names for today. I'd like to introduce Al and Jamie. Thank you both for being here. Welcome to Thank This you. Is Nashville. Good afternoon. Thank happy you. Happy to be here. Really happy to have you both. Okay, so before we get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts about AA, I want to get to know you all and your stories a little bit. Al, tell me, how did you personally find AA? Well, uh, it was not by accident. Uh, I was in the process of burning my life down uh, with uh, my drinking was causing financial problems and marital problems and uh, employment problems. And uh, it seemed like all the stars aligned at once for me and I had nowhere else to turn but to recovery. I had to have help, and uh, I went into a treatment center, and I was given the direction that uh, I needed, and I was kept away from alcohol for 30 days, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. The worst thing that ever happened to me in my life was the best thing that ever happened to me Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. Jamie, tell me, how did you find AA? Well, AA was not my first choice. I was trying to do everything but get sober. Um, I did get a DUI, and the courts sent me to AA, so um, that planted the seed. It didn't actually stick at the time, um, but I ended up losing my job shortly after. And for some reason, that woke me up, and I was just in a lot of pain and, and ready to surrender. And I had somebody reach out to me and ask me if I had a drinking problem, and I don't know what woke me up, but um, I was ready to kind of get honest with myself, and I as well went to treatment and started my AA journey through treatment. So you both have this similar journey of going through treatment to introduce yourselves to AA. I kind of want to hear what it's like when when you were done with the treatment process, but you kind of were in your first meeting. What was... What was going through your mind, Al? I'd like to hear from you too, Jamie, but Al first. What was going through your mind? How were you feeling when you at that first meeting? Well, I'll tell you the mistakes I made. The first thing, first mistake I made was comparing myself to the other people that were there. And I was looking for all the differences to rationalize the fact that, oh, I don't belong here. Mm. And it wasn't until a later point in time someone says, don't look for the differences. Look for the similarities. And boy, there was a lot of similarities there. 
and I began to identify with the people as they shared their experience, strength, and hope with me, I was able to identify with them. And for the first time in my life, I felt I was at home. Mm. Mm-hmm. Jamie? Yeah, it was... Um it was a little strange at first, but I saw people, they were smiling and and laughing and having fun and they were all friends. And I just was so badly wanting to find that happiness as well. And I actually, you know, would sit there and listen to people and instead of play on my phone and really try to take in what people were saying and try to find some solution for my life. And I, I just knew what I was doing was not working. And so why not give this a shot and stick around for a little bit and and see what happens? Mm-hmm. So that's what I decided to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people know about AA maybe from movies or TV shows, like for, from celebrities who are talking yes. about their recovery journey. But I think folks may not know actually what happens in the meetings and what happens. I want to like to go over some basics. Al, can you tell us like what happens generally during an AA meeting? Is it a lecture about how alcohol is bad? Do people just kind of sit and talk about, you know, the the fact that they may want to have a drink? Tell us what happens. No, it's a a, uh, informal meeting, a discussion. Well, some meetings are speaker meetings. Some meetings are discussion meetings. Uh, but it's a group of people that sit around and talk about their experiences with alcohol, what it's done to their lives, and how we utilize the 12 steps in our daily life. It's a 12 steps are a program of action. Uh, and we are usually encouraged when we're at a meeting to find what's called a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Sponsor someone to guide us through the 12 steps. And once we have gone through the 12 steps, then that enables us to turn around and carry someone else through the 12 steps to give it away what has been so freely given to us. Mm. Jamie, can you give us a little bit more detail as to what the 12 steps are? So to keep it in simple terms for me, the 12 steps to me are cleaning house, trusting God, and helping others. And the 12 steps were designed to expel the obsession to drink. So when I'm working the 12 steps, I'm strengthening my connection with my higher power. Um, It's dissolving anything that stands in between my higher power. For example, fear, resentment, jealousy, anger. Um, It starts to dissolve all that so I can have a clear connection with my higher power. They also, this was a big one for me, um, being able to look at the world differently. I, you know, I always blamed everybody else for my problems. And through the steps, I'm able to take accountability and see where my part is in things. And that was huge for me um, to just be able to really take take some ownership and take some responsibility And the most important part, I think, through the steps, there are a ripple effect. You know, I had a woman sit down with me and read the big book and read the 12 and 12 and help me gradually have the spiritual awakening. And now I get to go help other women and take them through the steps. And then they get to go do the same thing with other Mm -hmm. women. So it's just a bunch of healing occurring. And I think that's really what it's all about with the steps. Mm -hmm. You said cleaning house means, you know, at Focusing on yourself, cleaning out those things that, you know, may have been neglected or abused in certain ways. Absolutely. I really like that. Now, you mentioned something. You said higher power. I've heard that before. You know, we're here about a higher power when in 12, believing in a higher power in 12 step programs. 
Alec, tell me a little bit more. What does that mean? And what is a higher power? Is that something spiritual? Is it religious? Uh, it can be and perhaps should be, but we don't require it. Uh, we ask that people find a power outside of themselves to help them stay sober. And in many cases, we have people who are confirmed atheists, and uh, we insist that they find something out of them outside of themselves. And uh, often that turns into the be Alcoholics Anonymous itself, or the mm. AA group becomes their higher power. Mm. And it's perfectly acceptable. Many of us go further and gravitate to the churches of our upbringing, or we, we find new religious beliefs uh, that lead us to a, another level of spirituality that we didn't have prior to coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. How would you describe your higher power? Uh, my higher power is loving and loving unconditionally. And uh, I emulate that, or I try to emulate that in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's amazing how when we get people there, nobody's asked, to uh, provide any kind of identification. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Mm. We have a joke about that. We don't care if you're from Yale or jail. It makes no <laughs> difference. We'll take you. Yes. Now, you know, that's interesting because you, your higher power is to love people unconditionally. Here we are in the holiday season. That's a message that we're constantly constantly being reminded of. Not necessarily the year long, year long, year round, but now that is the mantra for us to love each other unconditionally. Yes. How do you take that outside of the recovery community and apply that to the rest of your life? Well, that's an excellent question. I think it normally flows. Uh, you know, the the people we meet in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, come in and they're broken. Uh, I, I, I use that term quite uh, figuratively, but it's our lives have self-destructed and we accept people and we offer to help them in any way we can. And in the process, what happens is that makes us, I think, better people, better citizens, uh, uh, and uh, we carry this into our, we, we can't help but carry this into our entire lives. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a, it becomes the way we live. It becomes the way we think. Uh, it it's the way we perceive life. And uh, I thank God every day for finding Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. It her helped me rejoin the human race. Mm -hmm. And the, so the communities around here are very strong. Now, Jamie, I understand that you're originally from California. I am. But it was through your treatment process mm -hmm. that you decided to move here to Nashville. I did. I just wanted a fresh start, and I really wanted to give myself the opportunity to really put all my attention on my recovery. And at the time, I just didn't feel strong enough to go home and go back to, you know, my old playground. So I wanted to start over here and really give this really give this a chance. So I didn't know what I was walking into at first, but I'm super grateful I stuck around. What'd you find? Peace and serenity. Um, I I just never had any of that. I didn't know, I didn't know anything else than 
anxiety, anger, depression. And I feel like AA has just lifted so much of that. Um, you know, I was just thinking about God and the grace he's given me in my life. And that is so helpful to me to go give that to somebody else. Cause who am I not to give somebody else grace mm-hmm. when my life has completely done a total change. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about relapses real quick because, you know, people say that relapses are a part of recovery. Mm-hmm. How common are relapses and how do you approach someone who has relapsed in you know your particular AA group so I would say I'm more surprised when people stay sober that's how common relapses are however if you are working the 12 steps and you are working a program then that gives you such a better chance Um, if you're taking suggestions such as going to meetings getting a sponsor service work, um, anything that keeps you connected and in the middle of the boat, we like to call it, um, that gives you such a better chance of staying strong in your recovery. And one of the suggestions they say is not to drink. So mm-hmm. the, that that definitely helps. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Now, I also understand that you found AA in your 20s. Yes. So tell me this. What would you say to someone, maybe someone younger? or a young woman in particular who's struggling with their drinking, who thinks they might need help, but they're a little afraid to go to a meeting? For me, I think it works when you're experiencing so much pain. Um, I know for me, uh, one of my excuses was, oh, I'm in my 20s, I'm too young to get sober. But when I look back on it now, like I wasn't having fun. I was, you know, getting in trouble, getting DUIs. I had no friendships, relationships, and I had to experience enough pain to where the fear just didn't seem that big of a deal. I needed a solution. My solution was alcohol and that was not working anymore. Mm-hmm. So that helped me walk through the doors and and just being in enough pain to listen to what everybody had to say until something clicked. Would you say it's like almost a unspoken or unofficial step to face your fears so you can walk through those doors to that first meeting? Yeah, I think a lot of the program teaches us to walk through our fears. Um, It's not easy, but one thing I do appreciate in the meetings is usually they ask, is this anybody's first meeting? Is there anybody here in your first 30 days? And if, if you can you know, raise your hand and and let everyone know after the meeting, people swarm you with love and phone numbers and and guidance. And it's just you're not alone anymore once mm. you walk through those doors. Amen. Hey, Al, I see you smiling. You know, what? what's your advice to a young person or anyone, but particularly a young person who may be a little bit hesitant? Uh, well, you know, we sometimes have felt in the past that we needed to go all the way to the bottom to uh, finally come to this state of reasonableness, but that's not necessary. You can get off that elevator on any floor. You don't have to ride it to the basement. Mm. And uh, we believe that uh, for that person who is uh, miss, they feel like they're missing out on life when they get sober, you're not missing a thing, trust me. It's From talking to you, you both, it feels like once you get sober, you're kind of opening yourself up to life. Yes. You get a chance to learn who you are and learn what you like. I mean, I had no hobbies other than getting drunk and being hungover, and that's just not a way to live. Mm. Now, Al, you volunteer answering phones at AA's Middle Tennessee Central Office. Yes, that's correct. Tell us about what resources are available through that central office. 
Oh, there are quite a few resources. Uh, that office serves as uh, a clearinghouse. They they distribute, sell books, literature, pamphlets, uh, the little chips that we use in the meeting to recognize various links of sobriety. All that's provided through our local central office. But they also have uh, volunteers that answer the phone mm. and uh, walk people through situations, give them directions, uh, uh, to where to find help, directions to find meetings. There is a website called www.aanashville.org, and uh, it has all the meetings listed on that website as well as other resources. And uh, we also have, uh, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it, there was an app that was donated to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous several years ago. It's called Meeting Guide, and it's an app you can download for free to your Android or to your Apple phone. And it will, as long as your location is turned on, it will tell you the next available meeting at a mm -hmm. location that's close to you. So mm -hmm. if you're ever in need of a meeting on the spur of the moment, you go to that app and you can find a meet. And we, by the way, we have almost a thousand meetings in Middle Tennessee wow. during the course of a week. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's uh, no excuse for not finding a meeting. Sorry, I was going to say when I was in treatment, this lady came up to me and she said, if you can't get sober in Nashville, you're not going to get sober anywhere <laughs> because mm -hmm. our recovery community is so strong here. And like Al said, there's meetings every hour every day i mean so many so many to choose from so if anybody i mean anyone needs help all they have to do is reach out absolutely yes. and if i may add too uh, this is maybe in the same vein as the conversation on unconditional love we make sure that when there are holidays if there was a meeting scheduled on a particular holiday there's going to be someone there with a the key to open up and we're going to have us a meeting yep. Because a lot of times people come in from out of town visiting relatives, mm -hmm. and they need an AA meeting. There's a lot of stress around the holidays. Mm -hmm. And so we, we want to make sure that we're always available for someone who needs an AA meeting. Thank you for noting that. That's something we're going to get on to later in the show. I really appreciate you both being here. Thank you for this conversation. Thanks to you, Al and Jamie. Really appreciate it. Have a happy, happy holiday and a wonderful new year, okay? Thank, Thank you. you. Same to you, Khalil. We got to take a short break. When we return, we'll be speaking with two more guests to learn more about Al-Anon and Alateen when they share their experiences. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we're talking about 12-step programs and local recovery communities here in Middle Tennessee. AA is probably the best known program, but there are dozens of others, including Al-Anon, a 12-step program that developed after AA to provide support for people who have a loved one who may have had a drinking problem. Years later, Alateen formed as a resource for younger people impacted by alcoholism. Today, we're talking with Tasila and Natalie about their programs and how they're helping them today and through the holidays. And as a friendly reminder, in keeping with 12-step programs tradition of anonymity, we are only sharing our guests' first names. Tasila, Natalie, 
Thank you both so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. <laughs> okay, so I want to begin. Cecile, I want to start with you. Tell us, how did you find Al-Anon? Well, I wasn't looking. Hmm. <laughs> I, um, the, the loved one that drank in my family was sentenced to um, come to AA meetings, and there was an Al-Anon meeting down the hall. And so the typical of an Al-Anon person were trying to fix the AA person, and I thought, well, I will take him to his AA meeting and I can go to an Al-Anon meeting and act like I'm doing a 12-step program. So maybe he'll like that, too. <laughs> you said you acted like you were doing the 12-step program. What was it like when you first got there? Did you engage yourself or were you just kind of in the room? I was in the room and I tried my best not to listen. Uh, it was kind of like me and them. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be part of them. But um, it wasn't too long before I began to hear what was said. And I had been hurt so bad, um, I think my heart was just sealed shut. But I heard something that we call the three C's, and it's that uh, we didn't cause it, we can't control it, and we can't cure it. Mm. And I, when I heard that, it just kind of broke loose all those bounds that were holding me shut. And I was able to think, if I didn't cause it and I can't control it, I'm spending most of my day and nights, uh, all of my life, trying to make this go away. Mm. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Al said something about comparing himself to other people in the room. Did 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 either of you go through that, Natalie? Did you did you when you first entered when you first found Alateen, did you compare yourself to some of the other teens in the room? I actually did. I started Alateen when I was about ten years old and that's pretty young, but I walked in there because I was forced by my mother who was taking Al-Anon, um, uh, was doing Al-Anon as well. And so I was forced and I really didn't understand why I had to go to Alateen. And um, I was really confused because I've never been to some place like that either. And so when I walked in and there was other kids around my age, I was very, very confused. And I was embarrassed because I was a new girl and um, it was very sensitive topics and I didn't want to talk about my experiences. But after a few meetings, I heard other kids that were going through similar things as me. And I was like, oh, wow, like, I didn't know you you were going through this, too. I am, too. And so it really it really set the scene. And I wanted to start coming to Alateen. But again, I was comparing myself to these kids because um, I know some people had lost loved ones because of alcoholism, and I've never lost somebody due to that. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, dang, like, they they have more, like, I should feel sorry for them. Um, why do they want to hear my experiences, even though they felt other things that are worse than what I felt? And so compare, comparing myself to them, I felt like I didn't deserve um, going to Alateen and things like that. And honestly... That's not the case. Mm. I I feel like uh, if you go to an Alateen meeting, um, that it's going to change the way you feel, think, and talk. Because when I went and other kids were experiencing these things, I really felt like I was heard and I had somewhere to share this space. And as a, as a teenager, I the, again, the embarrassment, it went away because of the 
anonymity and that you know you have the security to know that whatever you say is going to be kept in in the confinement of mm. these walls and that was one of the biggest reasons why i loved alateen and keep going to establish and ensure and, and to earn that trust and i have to imagine being a look being a teenager is kind of all about comparing yourselves to others yes um it's really tough you know but it feel it it's, i get the sense that you've been able to grow from this experience yes i have um Actually, uh, English is not my first language. Mm. It's Spanish. And I've had so much self-conscious about my language and grammar that I was so insecure in talking and I hated public speaking. But I can now say that public speaking is one of the things that I love so much. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of opportunities with Alatina public speak, including this one. And honestly, it's really changed the way I uh, feel and insecurity is all gone for me. I feel very secure in myself. I have so much self-confidence. And without a doubt, I know that if I hadn't gone to Alatina meetings or if I was in Alatina, that I could I could not be here speaking in a radio uh, at all or even public speaking in places. Well, congratulations. I better look out. You might be coming from my job pretty soon. Okay, so, you know, all 12-step programs, they have something in common. For one, it's the 12 steps, meeting and, and a belief of a higher power of some sort. And a few more things like sponsors, and we're going to get in that to a little bit later. But before we do, Tasila, you know, it, it might make sense for some people like why there's a 12-step program for folks who want to stop drinking or doing drugs. But tell us why there's a 12-step program for people who, quote, don't have a problem with alcohol but love someone who does. Well, we come into the program thinking um, that we don't have the problem. The alcoholic has the problem. And so we're all busy trying to control um, the situation. And we get into Al-Anon and we find out that, um, hey, we were trying to play God all that time. We were trying to make things happen, um, trying to cushion the fall. Um, for instance, if the alcoholic got a DUI, we would get them out of jail uh, or we would pay for their treatment programs. Uh, we would take their paychecks so they wouldn't have anything to spend on alcohol, um, try to control their time. And uh, none of those things work. But we didn't realize that it wasn't working. We thought, oh, we just haven't found the right plan yet. Mm -hmm. So um, when we get into the program and it first comes into our minds that those things didn't work. We were just, we were, in effect, we were crazy and we didn't know it. One of the steps says that we can regain our sanity. Mm. Well, we didn't know that we weren't sane. And it's not like we were clinically insane, but when you do the same things over and over and over, expecting different results. Oh, yeah. That is a definition of insanity. Mm -hmm. And you're able to find a path not only to help yourself, but you can be there to support your loved one. Oh, yes, yes. Um, once I really understood that alcoholism is a disease, I could see the person that the alcoholic in my life was. I didn't see the disease. You know, when I always thought that an alcoholic was somebody who laid in the streets after a night of drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then I find out there are a lot of people who are functioning alcoholics. They hold a job. They're, they're parents. They have a lot of skills. 
Um, I didn't know that. I only saw the disease and the problem. I forgot all about the person that was underneath mm. and the person that I could love. Mm -hmm. So that's what the program did for me. That's wonderful. Now, Natalie, we were talking about sponsorship before the break, but how is sponsorship different in Alateen? So I know in Al-Anon that a sponsor can be somebody like a mentor mentor, and somebody that you you go to for advice. However, in Alateen, it's similar to that, but it's just a tiny bit different. Um, these sponsors are actually people that have to get background checks because they're dealing with minors. And so um, after these background checks and these sponsors are allowed to come to the meetings, but they don't coordinate. That's all, all the members of Alateen coordinate all the meetings. So they're kind of just like supervisors. Mm -hmm. And so they are our sp uh, sponsors and they're just supervising that we're doing all the meetings right. Everything that we have to be doing in the meetings we're doing and they keep us in track. And so our sponsors are always people that um, are qualified to be a sponsor in Alateen, you know. So um, my sponsor is a very sweet lady and I look up to her a lot and I also have uh, recently we uh, have a new sponsor that was added to our uh, group and she's the sweetest as well and so I think that our sponsors are definitely what keeps us in track on all of our meetings. Why do you, you've been attending Alateen meetings for a few years, yeah. tell me why do you keep going? I keep going because it has really helped me find my peace. Um, for the first few years, I was um, uh, with, I was stuck on the first step, which is that and we admit that we are powerless over alcohol. And so my father is is an alcoholic, and however he's not in his recovery process yet, he has slowly been. Um, he sees that my mom and me are both in Allison and Al-Anon, and I think that's what's been um, driving him to start to change. Um, however, I know that I cannot change him. I cannot control it, the three C's as well. And so that's really, that first step has really maintained my peace because instead of me worrying about my father, I know he's he's going to start his process when he when he's ready. It has really helped me find my peace because I know that, I can't do anything about it until he wants to change something. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's the reason why I keep attending. It's because these steps have really helped me grow. And even though um, currently I, I'm not in that process where I'm scared for my father, um, for my father in, in, during his alcoholism recovery and when he's going to start that, it keeps me going because I know I can, I can maintain that peace. Mm. Tasila, why do you keep going? Well, as um, Natalie was talking, I was thinking, I came into this program just completely broken. I know the AAs, uh, some reach their bottom before they come into the program, but the Al-Anon members also, we've reached our bottom. I felt like a complete failure. Uh, as a, <clears throat> a mother, I couldn't cause my son to quit drinking. And, you know, you raise this child, and you don't raise them to become an alcoholic. So everything I tried did not work. And uh, when I came into Al-Anon, I began to find that I had to let him go and um, let him make his mistakes and not intervene. That's got to be hard as a mom. <sighs> oh, it's terrible. It is very hard. And then when I let go of trying to control every facet of his life, I was able to think about my own life, mm. uh, to find hobbies and to do things that I had wanted to do for a long time. I didn't even know I wanted to do them by the time I got here. So what Al-Anon has actually done, the reason I keep coming back, is it has given me confidence, self-confidence. 
Um, I've tried things that I would never try in service to Al-Anon. Um, I do things that I would never do. I wouldn't have learned how to use, have computer skills or anything like that. Mm. But I have, and I feel successful. And the best thing is I've learned to like myself. Yes. I have learned to like myself, and through that I've learned to help other people, and hopefully that they will like themselves too. Now, tell me about a little bit about the meetings. Are all the meetings the same? Are they, you know, are they like good meetings or bad meetings? How does that work? Um, we, just like people have different personalities, all the meetings have different personalities. Okay. And some people may go to a meeting and it just does not strike a chord with them. I know I've been to a meeting when I've thought, oh, I hope nobody ever comes to that meeting. And somebody will walk out the door with me and say, I heard the very best thing today, what, just what I needed. And, um, that just goes to show that. We're all looking for something different. And it, in Al-Anon, depending on the meeting you go to, uh, you may find something in one meeting that you don't have in another, just personality-wise. Mm -hmm. So you just keep going. Go. We tell our newcomers to attend at least six meetings okay. and, and to try to find the one that's right for them. All right. Now, you know, Natalie, I'm going to end this with you. You said that English is your second language and you're heavily involved in the Spanish-speaking yes. recovery community. What's your impression of Spanish-speaking recovery community here in Middle Tennessee? I really like that Middle Tennessee has different meetings that um, cater to different people. So um, my mother, she primarily speaks Spanish and she has an Al-Anon, uh, she attends an Al-Anon group that's primarily Spanish speaking. And so I feel like the having different varieties of languages in the groups really makes it better for the recovery process because a lot of people are now able to to recover, whether that you're the alcoholic or you have a loved one. And it having different languages available, it really makes it able to um, enlarge the scope of uh, the recovery process. And for me, I have a lot of people, uh, a lot of teenagers, uh, peers that attend Alateen and we're a Spanish speaking Alateen group. However, there's some that feel more comfortable speaking English. So I guess we would be bilingual. Mm -hmm. So it really helps whether what lang whatever language you speak, there is something for you in the recovery process. I really want to thank you both for being on to the show. I want to thank my guests, Natalie and Tasila for being with us. Thank you both again for speaking with me. Have a happy thank holiday, you. okay? You, you as well. Thank, awesome. you. thank you. Now we got to take another short break. When we come back, we're turning our attention to the holidays and how some local 12-step members are using their recovery to navigate and enjoy the season ahead. As always, you can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The holiday season is upon us. It's a great time of year, or it can be. Good and bad, I think we all can feel a lot of extra around the holidays. There's extra things to do. There can be extra pressure to drink at parties, extra pressure to eat at special family meals, extra pressure to spend time with family. There may even be an extra focus on what's missing from life. So how can we find the best way through to enjoy 
this season. Today, our conversations have been with members of the local recovery community. Now we're going to turn our attention to what works for them this season and what just might help the rest of us. We're here to join us are Tom. He is a member of Overeaters Anonymous, or OA. Jimmy, a member of Al-Anon and, and Adult Children of Alcoholics, or ACA. Tom and Jimmy, thank you both so much thank you. for being here. Really appreciate it. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having us. Happy holidays, Khalil. Happy holidays to you, sir. Now, now, Tom, you're a member of OA. Can you briefly share how you found OA? Well, I actually came into OA in 1986 after I'd been sober for a couple of years. Um, I'm in also in AA. So I heard about OA in an AA meeting. And um, I was thinking, what? Really? Can I, I can work the steps on this, too. And so I went to a meeting, and I was looking for the diet. And... <laughs> Where's the diet? Give me the diet because I'd been on all the diets and I always go off diets, especially around the holidays. I'll start again after the new year and, or I'll start again on Monday. Um, and they said there were no diets, that they had a plan of eating and they talked about something called abstinence, which I guess the equivalent would be food sobriety. And so uh, there's no one food plan. Different people have different body chemistry. So mm. which foods set up cravings for me? Um, so that was one thing I found out. Uh, and so much of what I've heard today is the exact same. The mm. food and the weight are not the problem, just like alcohol is not the problem. Um, the problem is living. Uh, it's the, getting down to causes and conditions is what it's really about. So the steps help with all of that. Um, I'm interested because, you know, when we think about sobriety from drugs or alcohol, it usually means no longer doing those things. But we have to eat in order to live, to make it through each day. How does recovery work in OA with food? Well, first of all, I want to share, my top weight was 385 pounds, and that happened when I was about 12 or 14 years sober. Okay. Um, I stopped working the steps anywhere. It's a miracle I didn't drink again. I used the food instead. Um, but... But so a plan of eating, really, you develop a plan of eating, and it might change over time. You might decide to add foods or, or so. We do suggest seeing a healthcare professional, but my personal experience is that a lot of doctors aren't familiar with food addiction at all. So find a healthcare professional that is familiar with food or, or compulsive eating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, now, Jimmy, you are a member of ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. Can you tell me what it is and how you found your way to the program? Yeah, it, absolutely. It started in uh, my recovery journey about 10 or 11 years ago in Al-Anon. And uh, what I found there helped me deal with the uh, addicts and, and uh, uh, alcoholics in my own life. Uh, at the suggestion of a friend, I joined uh, her at a ACA meeting, Adult Children of Alcoholics. And it was at that meeting that I heard my story. I heard someone tell the exact story of my childhood. And what I quickly came to realize is, is my work in Al-Anon, while important, was helping me deal with the others in my life. Uh, but my work in ACA really told me why I welcomed those people in my life in the first place. Um, what I realized was my foundation uh, as uh, as a child in a uh, sort of an um, emotionally turbulent home, 
uh, set me up to crave that kind of chaos and, and uh, excitement in my adult life. Uh, so for me, the work that I do in ACA really is the the focus on on my self-help journey you know at the the top of the show we had al and jamie on and al was talking it felt felt very spiritual like um Mm. you know he was able to recognize what he had gone through and through the process of being in this group kind of helped him find an inner peace it feels and sounds to me like your work through aca has helped you find an inner peace and kind of is it fair to say reconcile what happened during your childhood? I, I don't know if, if what you don't do is you don't rewrite your past. Okay. What you do is you don't relive your past. So I have a great appreciation and I've, you know, gone through a lot of uh, forgiveness uh, and, uh, uh, you know, kind of even forgiving myself for, for being brought up in that situation. Um, I don't know that I will ever rewrite uh, my brain and the wiring that's in my brain. What I have done is learn uh, to be aware that Mm -hmm. my brain works that way Mm -hmm. and to create a set of tools to catch myself when uh, that old thinking, uh, you know, uh, I've heard it said that they had a drinking problem, but I've got a thinking problem. Mm. Uh, When that thinking really kicks in, uh, I'm more aware of it. And I I can say, oh, oh. There's that thing that I do. Yeah. I'm doing it again. And then I can go through and do service work, talk to my sponsor, talk to my sponsees, get a meeting, grab a book. Um, you know, I've found that the arts are incredibly healthy uh, option for me. Uh, that it, uh, you know, the, the serotonin and dopamine levels that come out of uh, being around uh, art and performance uh, has been a real a real healthy uh, replacement mm. for, for negative thinking. When you talk about a, a thinking problem that, to me, that reminds me of cravings, and if we're in the holiday season, right. how are you, how, Tom, food is out there. How are you preparing to enter this holiday season? When... Over the years, I've learned a lot of, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, but, uh, please. So over the years, I have uh, found a lot of little tips and tricks. For instance, already been to some potlucks this, this year. One potluck, I decided to bring my, it was a lunchtime, so I brought some of my own food, but I also brought something I could have. So I had my own food before I went in, I was in my, it was in my car, and I, um, I brought in grapes uh, so I could have some of that. Making it not about the food, because so much of the parties we make about food, make it about the people. Mm. Um, at a dinner with a family, offer to have an exit strategy. And I, that's good for AA and Al-Anon, too, is have an exit strategy. And um, you can excuse yourself, help clean up. Um, uh, but really, re- with restaurants, if you're going to mm-hmm. a restaurant, look at the website, look ahead of time. If mm-hmm. I fail to plan, I plan to fail. I understand. So so I do have a plan before, I strategize beforehand. My exit strategy is always the Irish goodbye, but that's not necessarily very polite at a holiday party. Now, Jamie from Alcoholics Anonymous is still with us. Thank you again for joining us again. How are you planning to approach the holidays and all the festivities that are happening? 
So I have a toolkit I plug into every day to stay spiritually fit. Um, and for example, my family is in Las Vegas, so I will be traveling. Um, and my three main things is carving out time in the morning to journal and to read some literature. It doesn't take long. Um, you know, that really sets my day. I'm a huge component of going to the gym, getting my body moving. And um, always making sure I have a meeting around me. And Al was speaking about the meeting guide app earlier. It works anywhere you are. So those three things are crucial for me and I can map that out wherever I go. Also using my tools of calling another woman in AA or calling my sponsor and having an exit plan, that's always key as well. So mm. I, I usually drive myself to places so I can leave if I you know, I'm uncomfortable or need to get out of there. Awesome. I, I did want to share that every morning I also carve out time to have time with my higher power. And the first three steps, I just go through those really quickly. And they, for any program, they basically been boiled down to, I can't, God can, I think I'll let God. Okay. I can't, God can, I think I'll let God. I like that. Now, you know, there's a lot of family plans around these days, figuring out who's going to travel where. Jimmy, you have teenagers, 16-year-old and a 19-year-old. Correct. You're divorced from your kid's mom, but you, you shared with our producer that you are also remarried. Tell me, how how are you? How do you approach making holiday plans? Well, for, uh, for me, what works is, uh, uh, is allowing my, you know, teenage children, young adults, uh, to do what they, what pleases them. Uh, it is not my, uh, I don't get joy out of being restrictive with my kids. Mm -hmm. uh, when my ex-wife and when their mother and I divorced, you know, we, we did have very restrictive uh, guidelines as set forth through the, you know, through the parenting plan and the divorce decree. Uh, as they grew, uh, I, I found that there was some anxiety around the holidays that was coming from that. Uh, there was maybe even some dread that they, you know, they weren't able to uh, experience joy in the way that, that the holidays represent. So once I gained uh, full custody of the kids, I, I, I realized that it was important for me to give them agency over their own lives, to choose how they want to spend their time. If that's with me, great. If that's with their mom, great. If that's with friends, great. If they want to stay in their room and, and play games, if that's what's if they have decided that is what's best for them, then that that is the plan. How have they responded to this freedom of choice <laughs> that they've yet you've given them? I can't speak uh, loudly enough about my children. Uh, everybody, every father says he's proud of his kids. My kids are amazing. Uh, the love that I feel for them, the the connection that we have uh, post-divorce, um, I am absolutely one of the most fortunate people on the planet when it comes to how uh, I relate to my kids and how my kids relate to me. To say we have an honest and truthful relationship is putting it very, uh, very lightly. You know, I want to hear from all of you to see like how the holidays are different for you now that you are in recovery compared <laughs> to before. Jamie? My parents actually want me around, so mm. that's nice. Um, I can be of service when I'm with them. Um, before, you know, I would just stay in my room. I'd be hungover. Um, 
no contact. I, you know, I come out to eat and run back to my room. But it's it's a really cool experience to be present with the people you love and be able to, you know, help with the cooking or the cleaning and just really have that time, you know, with my family. And that just that's so different from what it used to look like. I Sometimes I wouldn't even show up for holidays. Mm, really? So, yeah. I mean, if it's going to get in the way of my drinking, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, that's that's how I lived for a long time. So, so in many ways, you were able to get your family back, and they were able to get you back. Yeah, and I, I'm really lucky. My family is very supportive. Um, my husband is an AA as well, and they know. They're like, if you guys need to go to a meeting, go ahead. Like whatever you need to do. So I feel like we're very fortunate mm -hmm. in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Tom, so uh, more so much freedom. I'm not thinking about food all the time. I'm not sitting and watching television alone. By the way, just for the compulsive eater who might still be out there and thinking about this, oanashville.org and oa.org, there's lots of resources and information there about how to get to a meeting. I go to a lot of meetings, and that helps me tremendously. To just other people who know how I think and feel about food and what to do about it, that is so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I... I left to my own devices, I would binge, but we stay abstinent. Mm. Just like in AA, I drink, we stay sober. It's mm. the same idea. So that, I need help. That community has become family for you. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. Anywhere in the world I go, we have Zoom meetings where there are people from all over the place. And so Zoom, there are meetings all over the place. There's plenty of help available. That's what, that's what, and, and, Accessing that when I am traveling or with I'm with when mm. I'm with family, using my network, texting people, calling people, and saying ah! <laughs> if I need to, yeah. you know. And I was going to mention that's a good point, and we've talked about or I've heard talked uh, the mention about the the uh, meeting finder on the app. Even if you go to a meeting, if you're not connecting with it, just remember there are tons of meetings in this town. Okay. Uh, uh, the general guideline is try six meetings in the first six weeks before you decide if the fellowship is right for you. And if you get to a meeting and you are talking to the wrong people or you're not feeling the connection, you do not have to go back. You can find another meeting, be it in Nashville, be it in Hendersonville or Smyrna or Murfreesboro or Franklin or uh, or even one of the other uh, multitude of meetings in, in town. Uh, both uh, my recovery groups, Al-Anon and, and uh, ACA, both have amazing meeting finders on their websites. Got about 30 seconds left. I want to ask you, Jimmy. What are you looking forward to for this holiday season? Uh, sanity, serenity, peace. Uh, I used to be addicted to the, to the excitement of the chaos of my family, and there is zero chaos in my life right now. Mm. I see everyone else shaking their heads. I agree 100% yeah. with Absolutely. that. Really, I want to thank all of you for coming onto the show and to talk with you. us. I thank want to you. thank Jimmy awesome. from Al-Anon and Adult Children's of Alcoholics or ACA, Tom from Odor e Overeaters Anonymous, and Jamie from Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, thanks to you all. Have a wonderful, happy holiday and a beautiful new year. Thank you, Khalil. Thank you, Khalil. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Catherine Cece's. Our It was directed by our senior producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. 
We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.